Hey, this is Sean Leary again, and this is QC Uncut, number one rated podcast in the Quad Cities. It is, as the name implies, uncut, unedited, uncensored conversation with local newsmakers in the arts, politics, and the realms of other interesting and unusual things in and around the Quad Cities. And my guest today is someone who I've wanted to have on as a guest for quite a while, someone I admire quite a bit, very talented man, very interesting person. Here, I'm building you up a whole, an awful lot, Patrick, so this better be good. Uh, Patrick Adamson, ladies and gentlemen. Hang on. Let me let me get the ponies out and the, put the puppets on. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Thank, thanks for uh, making me feel good about myself. If you could write all that down and send it to my wife so she thinks the same thing, that should be great. Right. Well, thank you. I'll, I'll do that. I'll embroider it. I'll embroider it. Uh, but, yeah, uh, you are the... One of the owners Correct. and um, general manager would be your title yeah. of of, com- of comedy sports in the establishment theater here in the Quad Cities. You and I have known each other for quite some time um, since I moved to the Quad Cities. Really, I mean, I think your dad was one of the first people that I met and interviewed when I moved here to the Quad Cities. Um, of course, you guys for- founded comedy sports early '90s. I can't remember because it was before I got here. Um, was it like 93? 1990. 1990. Okay. I knew it was like way early in the 90s that you guys founded it. Um, and so um, what was that like? I mean, what do you remember from that? You know, when you first started out and what made you think or made your dad think like, oh, wow, this is going to be um, – this is going to be a winning enterprise, you know, because any new business, I mean, and I know I'm, I'm a theater producer. And so I know there have been times when I've been like, this is going to kill like Tuesdays with Maury. When I did Tuesdays with Maury over at the speakeasy and I'm like, oh, this is going to be a slam dunk. I'm going to make, you know, bank on this and we'll be able to support all the other esoteric stuff that we want to do and everything. All the Neil LeBute shit, you know? (laughs) And so, and then it did, and it tanked, and I was just like, I can't believe it. But and you know what that's like. What's that like to like take that dive in? And I admire you guys so much for doing it, taking the dive in the first time and going, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna start this business up based upon a concept that's never been done here in the Quad Cities before. Yeah. So really, there's a there's a few different levels or layers there. You know, like a, like an ogre, like an onion, like a parfait. <laughs> right. uh, there's three. Right. There's some. There's some. Ogres layers. have layers. Uh, <laughs> So uh, first, on a, on a national history level, so it, it actually started. Comedy Sports was in 1983 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and that was that was the home of comedy sports, and it it spread from there to to Madison, and uh, then it kind of branched out as people moved away from that troupe, and you know their life took them to different cities. Other right. comedy sports started to, to become licensees of this main product. And so that's like on, on the national level, you know, it wasn't something that we necessarily founded. It was something that we adopted. And even still here locally, it was really Dennis Hitchcock that, that brought comedy sports to the Quad Cities. Um, you know, he was the, the um, engine. Uh, he was the producer. And, uh, we, you know, comedy sports started out. Uh, so it was Denny then? It really was, yeah. Now, how did that come out? Didn't he, didn't he see it at like a conference or something that he went to? Or I thought it was, or did Jeff? I could I couldn't remember. I thought someone saw it like at an out of town conference and was like, "This is really cool. This could play in the Quad Cities." My I don't know the exact story. My understanding is that Denny did see it uh, in another city. Uh, he saw it elsewhere, um, perhaps maybe even in Milwaukee, um, and then had the idea that it was going to be great here. And so they had an audition, and my dad was a part of that original audition. Now, if he was here to tell you the story, he would say that. Uh, 
you know, his wife, April, told him, you should audition for this. You're funny. You love theater. You, you know, you used to do theater. You haven't done it in a long time. You should do this. And he said, no, I'm going to make an ass of myself. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And she kept saying, no, you should go. You should go. And he said, no, I, I, okay, fine. And as he tells the story, he had that moment as a husband. He goes, you know what? All right, I'm going to go down there. I'm going to make an ass of myself. I hope you're happy. Uh, there's nothing a wife likes more than a husband <laughs> waking an ass of himself. Right. So, Having been married before, and you're are mar- a married man. <laughs> yes. We both know that. So at that audition, I think there was approximately 200 people. It was quite a, a large you know cattle call at that time um and 12 people were taken uh-huh. he was one of the 12 so shortly thereafter once the troop you know kind of got founded the milwaukee comedy sports people brought some trainers and coaches down and and they did a few workshops but essentially handed the rock island group a book and just said here you go mm-hmm. you know learn as you go right and so um, improvise yeah. what a concept yes yes improvise <laughs> through this format right. so uh you should be able to do that. Yeah. There's a logic right. to that, actually. It's like, you know, if you're here, it's a group of improvisers. We're just going to give this to you and let you improvise. And that's really actually has been a very uh, true theme throughout mm-hmm. this entire business. Right. You know, here 27 years later, I mean, every time we learn, we grow, we make mistakes, right. you know, sure. we get back up and we and we figure it out. Mm-hmm. And our, our show, our match has really evolved from where it started in the beginning. So... Shortly thereafter, you know, a few months had passed, uh, and then my dad kind of, you know, as any group has that person who's willing to say, "Well, yeah, I'll do that," mm-hmm. and that and that was Jeff, and right. so that's how he ended up essentially being the the manager w- within right. the troop. Um, so, on a personal history level, I, I was eleven when uh-huh. that step when he auditioned. Right. So for me, it was this fun thing that my dad was doing. It was it was it was cool, but. I also didn't quite understand it, and all it meant was that it took a lot of took his time. Right. He was gone in the evenings on practices. They did shows at Ribco on Tuesday nights. They did you know shows uh, at the Circa Main Stage when you know they when they were dark or in between shows. And it wasn't until you know they really moved over to what is now the Speakeasy uh, that it became a regular scheduled Friday and Saturday mm-hmm. night performance. So. I remember one day, uh, it was my dad's birthday, and we went out to the dock for dinner. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? So, going back a little bit. And uh, on our way home, uh, my dad had to stop at the theater to pick something up. And, you know, we all kind of rolled our eyes like, oh, yep, you know, dad's got to go back to the theater again. He got out of the van, goes into the theater, we're in the car. And I remember I looked over my brother and I said, don't worry, Jim, in a couple of years, this will all be over. <laughs> yeah. the, the, you know the, the, the cynicism of, of a twelve-year-old at that point, right? Or the hope of a yeah. twelve-year-old. <laughs> so, and here we are, twenty-seven uh-huh. years later. It's my life. It's my passion. Right. Uh, it's everything. I, you know, I'm I'm all in. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of the the personal history there, right? Now I remember. Um, I don't remember seeing you in comedy sports early, but I do remember seeing you in a couple of Playcrafters shows yeah. that you did. Um, I remember one, I can't remember what it was, but you played the bad guy and you were this real bastard. I mean, I can't remember which one it was. And I was like, wow, that guy's kind of menacing. Yeah. And um, then I saw you in a comedy and I was like, that's it's a pretty that's good range. Better, it's yeah. good, you know? Um, but yeah, you started off, Did you? was that something that you did concurrently with sports or did you think, I want to go at, into like more serious acting first 
and then you kind of got dragged back into sports due to the family connection. So Playcrafters was a great like leaping off point for our family. We were mm-hmm. involved there. That was just a community theater that was very welcoming. Um, we really had opportunity to you know do everything from you know. Uh, stage managing to mm-hmm. being on stage crew to doing lights and sound and then to you know acting um so I, i'm really appreciative for that and i was also a dedicated like speech team nerd when i was in high school uh, and so i think those things really gave me a platform for being a good public presenter and being able to really have that passion to perform uh i started comedy sports i started performing in in comedy sports as a you know roster member when i was 16 mm-hmm. which you know now now at minimum of 18 right. um i think i might have been the youngest player in the league at the time uh and it kind of was a backdoor thing for me so i always enjoyed the staged uh, productions but once i got the taste of improv i, I loved it mm-hmm. For a lot of reasons, there's danger involved. Sure, I mean, yeah. you don't know. From We're a rare industry. We take money from the customer before we know the product that we're selling them. But, but that's the beautiful thing about it. And that's what I've always told people about live performance. And when I've you know, been interviewed and asked about it, and that's what excites me about it, is that everyone is different. Every live performance. And I don't care if like it's an artist who comes out and does the same set list every time. Even if they do the same set list every time, it's different. Then you take that and you extrapolate that out to the extreme and you have improv. And that's what's so brilliant and exciting about it is the fact that, yeah, you might go one night and it might suck. Mm-hmm. But then you might go another night and it's magical. Yeah. And you don't know. Mm-hmm. And there's something that's really kind of cool about that, about that risk factor. And not only for the performer, but for the audience as well. That kind of symbiosis that they trust each other. But like, I don't know what's going to happen, but you know what? I want to take this journey with you. It's kind of like a metaphor for life, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, it, uh, an improvised performance uh, is like a, it's a series of first dates. Right. Really. Is, I mean, it's it you are finding that chemistry both with your you know improv partner, your teammates in relates to comedy sports but your improv partners as well as making that relationship and chemistry with the audience uh-huh. and how this date goes on this right. friday right. night could be drastically different from how the date that you lined up for next week goes uh-huh. you know it really just depends on uh on, on a lot of those factors um and when i was an actor doing staged productions and had started doing improv uh, for better or for worse exactly what you just said about tweaking and how you may have a a repetitive script or or a set list that you're going to do as a musician but there are some tweaks and changes I I found myself doing that as an actor it's like well last week I did the you know I did this line this way and I'm now going to do it this way and last week uh, my you know acting partner expected me to have this reaction and this week I'm going to go complete opposite and see what happens (laughs) Um, um, but once I realized, and I I respect the work and dedication that a scripted performer puts into their piece. You know, it is at times you know weeks, five, six weeks rehearsal, dedication to lines and blocking, and character development, and then for m- most of us, at least in this community, what doesn't have the, a, a very long run for a lot of shows, you may do the show sometimes three times, other times, you know, who knows, maybe a, a dozen or so, mm-hmm. and then you're done, and then right. you move on. And for me, I love the idea that we are we have spent 27 years developing this show 
but every single time it's different. Right. And every time we can just pick up, get on the road, and go to your you know, corporate party, we can go to your community theater, we can go to your school, your church, and we can put on a show. Mm-hmm. We you know, have show, we'll travel. Right. It takes nothing but you know, our brains, our voice, and our body as an right. instrument to do that. So. Now, there, there, and you and I both know this, this is an interesting thing. There are parameters within improv. There are rules within improv. One of them being always say yes. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what are some of the other, like, kind of hidden parameters in regard to going into an improv show? Because there are certain games and there are certain things that you can kind of, I don't know if you want to pull behind the mistake of it or not <laughs> in this interview, Patrick, but I'm, I'm throwing it out there for you. You're, you're looking uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, here you go. Well, now here's how I do this trick. Sorry to completely reveal the mystery behind it, but that's what I. I that's, yeah, I'm going to do a video show with David Costas and have him reveal all of his tricks next, Patrick. That's for my encore. Just have him show everything. Right, have long, him show long, everything. Show exactly. Everything here you go. Podcast. Right, so exactly. <laughs> right, right. Mm, that's interesting, David. Mm, can you all see that out yeah. there? Yeah. So if you want to reveal some of them. You know, by all means, feel free. If not, that's fine. I totally understand. No, this, it's not that it's a secret. I mean, uh, the secret is being able to do it well. The, right. se- the secret well, yeah. is is yeah. maintaining, uh, you know, presence of mind and being consistent. You know, and, and rules are not something that that we use any longer. The mm-hmm. guidelines, so, like right. parameters, is a that's better like, way to yeah, say yeah, it. It's like, like an outline of like this is where it could possibly go. Yeah. So I mean, you said yes, and and. There's another word behind that, which is and. Uh, yeah. You know, uh-huh. Yes, and is definitely the pillar of being able to create on the spot. It's accepting all ideas as valid, giving them, giving them worth, and receiving that information and adding your two cents to that. So now we're building. Um, the other part I'd say that's really important for us is that the, the only, only jazz musicians are the only improvisers yeah. who have never met before. Right. Uh, you know, as far as us as improvisers, our characters that we portray on stage, we should have history. We should have relationships. We should know each other. We should have had things that happened in our life um, that lead us to this moment. Why is today the day? Why is this moment that we're choosing to create and show the audience important? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if everything was stuck to a uh, hello, welcome to High V, how can I help you? <laughs> it's a very boring world. Um, versus a hello, welcome to High. Haven't seen you <laughs> since the court hearing. You know, and then now all of a sudden there, there's history there. So you know, it makes it much more interesting. Uh, so you know, yes, and's a great premise. There's some that would say that you know we should avoid questions. We should instead of asking questions, we should make statements because inherently there's information in there. Um, and in addition to that. Uh, we should really try to support each other and make each other look good. You know, it is a team, whether you're working just with one scene partner or an ensemble of seven or eight, mm-hmm. if I invest yes anding your ideas and making them fit within the context of whatever form we're doing, because there's, you know, a myriad of, of improv forms, and you're doing that for me, you know, that rising water is going to raise all ships. Right. right. And so, you know, that is really kind of at, at the essence of, of what we're doing here. Um, comedy sports is very gimmick-based. You know, it, it's short form. It's, it, it is deliciously built for the attention span of today. Right. You know, it's three, four minutes, and that was... I hope you use that in an ad. Yeah. 
that was a good lie. Three, three or four minutes of, uh, you know, look at this. This is uh, funny. This is shiny. Right. This is laugh. And then we're on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's what's considered short form improv. Right. Um, and so... I, so comedy sports, there's gimmicks within those games. Mm-hmm. And so we, we learn through experience how to play to that gimmick, you know, how to enhance that bit. You know, I mean, if you think of, I don't know, like uh, Kramer from Seinfeld, right. right? I mean, a lot of his laughter came from physical reactions. Yeah, They're yeah, physical definitely. bits. So obviously they're going to play to that strength within that character or within the show premise. And in a way, you know, that's what we know, that this is a physical-based game. Mm-hmm. So maybe during this game we need to... <laughs> We need to interact with each other. Maybe at some point I'm going to pick you up off your feet. Maybe at some point, you know, you need to grab me, you know, by the collar and pull me in close for a, a you know, a passionate exchange of some wow. sort. Like if we can bridge that physical gap between us, this game's going to really sing. So there's things like that that we learn to work within the context of what we're doing. What's the craziest thing that's ever happened on stage? And is there ever a time, and I'm sure there has been, but what's the, one of the most memorable or some of the most memorable times where you were like holy crap, I don't know where this is going, and have you ever been afraid of, like, where this could possibly go? <laughs> there are so many uh, of those moments, and as you asked me that question, there's a hundred things that pop through my head. <laughs> some, some, some of the craziest things that have happened usually result in injury of some sort. Well, a lot of us have stories of, like, remember that night I broke your pinky uh remember that night you you jumped off stage and uh didn't realize the chair was there and you know yeah right uh so you know we have stories like that um but you know one you talked about i don't know where this is going so Uh there was a moment that uh we played a game called day in the life and the premise of that is we just ask the audience for an interesting or unusual day and we get a three minute scenario and then we replay that for the audience because uh-huh. they weren't there, and neither were we, but now it's our funny take on this moment in your life. And so we asked for stuff, you know, like, what's something unusual? Like, oh, I left grandma at the airport, or oh, no, I, I, you know, I backed up and hit the garbage truck, or whatever. Uh-huh. They're usually funny stories. This lady raised her hand, and nobody else did, and so it was very like, yeah, absolutely, you, what's, what's your story? And she said, well, my dad just died. And I thought, you know, the room just gets quiet. You right, know, I mean, yeah. it's it's two hundred people, and the room gets quiet. And you know, and the the referee who acts as the MC says, "I'm I'm I'm sorry to hear that." And she said, "Yeah, so um, you know, the funeral was a couple days ago, and you know, as a comedian inside, you're going just you're tightening up, going. I I obviously can't make. F- There's nothing funny here. Right. There's nothing funny here. And uh, but now we are." You can't tell this person. You have to honor their story as well. Right. I mean, in the spirit of yes and, and in the spirit of of their you know their loss, you say okay. And then the referee asks some questions. You know, well, what was your dad like? What were the things that he was passionate about? Um, you know, and so now we have this information, and we're supposed to get on stage now and perform you know four or five minutes of comedy about this tragedy. Uh-huh. And there was this beautiful moment, and we're really the the scene began. You know, after you know, or, uh, after the funeral had ended, mm-hmm. so you know, we kind of avoid that that tragic moment, and now we see Dad interacting in the kids' lives 
after he's passed. As a ghost. As a, yeah, right. In in these but in these funny ways, right. tying onto the fact that, you know, he was a car aficionado and so, you know, every she went to get in the car and, you know, he would pop up in the rearview mirror and chastise her for not getting the oil changed and yeah. and, and just that moment of like, I'm scared of where this is going to go. And yet then working together to create something that was funny and yet meaningful mm -hmm. and poignant and something where we were able to honor him rather than make fun of you know that that tragedy so right. those moments uh, things like that um so that was one moment where i didn't know where this was going to go right. there well, are truly moments it's kind of like that that saying that you know comedy is tragedy plus time yeah no i, I agree uh and and there are truly moments where we there are brief moments of panic when you're improvising on stage like what exactly is the point here right. or where are we going with this and that's when the, the that's when the training kicks in you know you latch on something you create history you you use a, a sense of a story arc and 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 you find the conflict mm -hmm. you find the resolution and, and and we work together on that um but yeah there's there has been some some very interesting moments uh I remember one moment uh, I was outside of comedy sports and a couple were, I was for a guessing game. So I was supposed to be outside. I wasn't supposed to be hearing what was happening. I'm waiting to get called to come back in the room and a couple exits the building. And that's not something you ever want to see in the middle of a comedy show. You're like, oh no, right, like, right. Is, is it horrible? You know, is it? Were we doing that bad? Right, uh -huh. How do do we offend you in some way? Because that certainly is like you know one of the things that comedy sports is. It's right, it's, yeah, it's for everyone. Uh -huh. Well, and I, I said, oh, I'm going home. I said, yeah, I said, I'm sorry. You know, I was tr already trying to apologize for whatever went wrong. And, it, and she, <laughs> the lady said no, and she looked down and embarrassed. She's like, I have to go. And you probably don't want anybody to sit in the chair I was sitting in. Did she have her period, or did she no. get sick she and herself. she pissed herself? Okay. <laughs> she she laughed hard enough that she actually wet her pants <laughs> and wet the chair. <laughs> so then, you know, you get the call back in, and I'm running back in the room, and you know, say to the house manager, "Go to table B12 and take the chairs away," because you don't you don't know which one it was, you know. All right. Oh man, there's been some there's been some moments, some crazy moments. Um, yeah, one. <laughs> I'll tell you one that happened relatively recently, uh, which was one of the very few times that we've ever had to remove somebody from comedy sports. Comedy uh -huh. sports, like again, like it's a tea for everyone. Everybody's here to have a good time. Right. You know, it's seven o'clock, so it's not too late. Yeah, you know, people yeah, aren't sure. they're not showing up trashed and. Uh, so, well, this one couple did. And uh, <laughs> it was, and of course, as luck have it, we put them at the table right in front of the stage. So they are as close to the show as you can possibly be. And, you know, the show begins at seven and they are interacting with the referee. They're talking when they're not supposed to talk. It uh -huh. becomes very obvious that, that they're drunk. Sure. And uh, there's a brown bag following comedy sports. So that means if you in the audience are on the playing field, say something that's lewd, crude, dirty, you, you get called out for it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a little bit of a public shaming. They put a brown paper bag over your head. Yeah. So the players get introduced up to stage. And mind you, we haven't even played a game yet. And the lady loudly goes, shit, I hope the red team wins. <laughs> And everybody's like, oh, you can hear the audience grumble, like, come on, lady. And the ref just again ignores it. 
Well, then a little bit later, we said, a sugge- you know, let's give a suggestion. And, and she yelled something, you know, I don't know, like dick or something like that. So, <laughs> the, you know, the, the, the referee's like, okay. And so he he calls for the brown bag foul. And he pulls out the brown bag. And most people sit back in their chair and accept it. Uh-huh. She stood up and started to walk on stage to receive her brown bag. Uh-huh. So seeing that, I was like, oh my, you know, I step up out of the out of the booth or the bench and I, you know, gently turn her back around and guide her to her seat. She gets the brown bag on and a player, uh, I think it was Jeremy Marr, leaned over to me and he said, um, is it time for mystery comeback? And I had forgotten that there was this legend in comedy sports that if, whenever an audience member got too drunk or too belligerent, you would play a game called mystery comeback. And the game is this. You ask for a volunteer and you choose the person who's an asshole. Uh-huh. And then you take them outside of the room and you explain a game to them. Whatever it is, you can improvise that game and you tell them, we'll come get you when it's time for you to come back. <laughs> and then you, you go back in and you just continue the match and you never call for them. Uh-huh. You never ask them back in. And then the idea is probably within 10 or 15 minutes, they would sheepishly come back in, realize that you you know, pulled one over on them and they would be more polite. So I said, yes, let's do this. So I called for, you know, kind of dial up the play, right? You know, in between these, these moments and tell the ref, like, hey, we're going to play a game called Mystery Comeback. He doesn't know what it is. Well, what's that? Well, you just need audience volunteers. I need two of them. I want to take these two people with me. Boy, they seem like they're so much fun. And as I'm walking by the blue team uh, on their way out, I said to the blue team, pick up their stuff off their table. Uh-huh. Grab her purse, grab their whatever's there, their keys, and follow us out. We get to the lobby. And the guy realizes that we're kicking them out, essentially, you know. Right. And he's like, no, 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 you're going to kick me out. I'm like, no, I'm not going to kick you out. Just come outside and talk about what's happening. Can we just talk about this? Let's go outside and talk about this. We go outside and, we, and the lady says, um, I, had, I need to go back in. I, I need to go pee. And I said, well, look, um, no, I need to talk to you before you go. And she's like, I gotta go pee right now. And she starts to pull down her pants <laughs> in the middle of the district, which I'm certain. That- <laughs> I, I don't think that's the first time that's yeah, happened, Patrick. Say, no. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure I've seen that at least a half dozen times during my years roaming the bars here. So that yeah, that's just called Tuesday night. But right, exactly. uh, so, and I said I didn't know what to do. Like I panicked. I said, "Ma'am, if you pull down your pants right now, I'm going to call the police." And that did not stop her. She pulled down her pants, relieved herself on the <laughs> like the um, runners of some like Chevy Tahoe outside or something. And that's when I knew we weren't playing Mystery Comeback. We were playing a game called Go the Fuck Home. And <laughs> so the uh, blue team brings her stuff out. I you know I got money. I even gave them their money back just uh-huh. to, so there wasn't an argument. Right. Get them out the you know gone. And I came back inside, and there was an older gentleman standing in the lobby kind of watching over us. He said, everything okay? So yeah, it's fine. He goes, okay. Well, I'm a, I'm a retired uh, sheriff. I just want to make sure everything was all right. Mm-hmm. Well, it was just th- those are those moments. Like, you just don't know what's going to happen. Right, and right. So, yeah, there's been, some, there's been some crazy times. Now, along those lines, <laughs> we all know we've been, you know, 
within performing arts groups and such, and there are sometimes internecine conflicts between people, personality conflicts, personality clashes, and more than that, there are often romantic entanglements within <laughs> performing arts groups. I know it may be hard to believe yeah, for people yeah. out there that, that you know, people who work together, people, uh-huh. people who play together, exactly. and spend a lot of time with each other. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And sometimes those result in some really strange breakups and love triangles and things of that nature. Now, certainly that has happened here, given, you know, the cast members. Has that ever reflected itself on stage where you've had people in the midst of relationship issues or breakups or anything like that? Has that manifested itself during a show? Never during a show in a negative way. We've had some great ways, some positive things. We just had two performers uh, get engaged. I saw Jake Walker. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, Jake and and Victoria uh, uh, got engaged um, at the end of a show. Um, You know, of course, uh, Jeremy and Aaron Marr married and, and performed together. Um, and so sometimes, you know, having that husband-wife uh, angle or the fiancé, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it makes for a fun story uh, in the show. So, But we've had it manifest itself in, in great ways. Um, we've been very lucky. I, I, I'm, I bet you if I talk to any one of the other 27 comedy sports owners, mm-hmm. there are some horrific moments. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and, and not to say that we haven't had some wires crossed here and there, you know, within the company off stage, but those are, they've been very minor. And it's, yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> yeah, very lucky. I was expecting to have more juicy no, stories no, there. I really don't. No, it's, it's a positive, it's a positive <laughs> place. That's why I, I tell people that when, you know, when they audition or if they're going to work here as a, a bartender or anything, I said, this is really one of those unique places because sure. you work with a bunch of comedians. Right. Everybody's, they're here to have fun. They're here to make jokes. I mean, yeah, sure. There's that, the, the story that, you know, like all, all comedians are damaged in one way or another, right. you know, that's why they tell jokes. And, well, but I think that's more standups. And yeah. I was going to, I, I was going to hit on that. We can go into that now. The difference between different realms of comedy. Now, um, you and I once shared a space, the Speakeasy, mm-hmm. uh, when I was producing shows with my Verona. Um, um, some of the stuff we did was more like hard drama, like the Pillow Man and the David Mamet stuff and Neil LeBute and things like that. Um, but we also did sketch comedy. And um, I remember when we were you know, kind of doing publicity for that, people were like, you know, comparing it to saying, oh, well, you've got comedy sports. Because you guys used to do the early show, mm-hmm. and then we would do the late show. You guys would be a 7.30, we'd be a 9.30. And... Um, and I would say, like, no, no, it's it's very different. And it is. I mean, sketch and stand-up and improv are very different. And as I've worked with people who have done all three, the more I've found people that are distinct to one, like people who mostly do stand-up mm-hmm. or mostly do improv or mostly do sketch, they do have distinct differences in their personalities and the way that they see things, the way that they perform. I mean, improv people who are mostly improv, Mm -hmm. you know, are are different in their outlooks and the way that they perform than people who are mostly stand-up. And I think that when you say, you know, all comedians are damaged, that certainly could be true in some case. But I found that improv people seem to be much more upbeat and light in regard to that, whereas the stand-up folks seem to be much darker. Have you found that as someone who has done 
all of those things. You've done sketch. You've done stand-up. You've done improv. Have you found that distinction within the realms of comedy? And I realize it's a generalization because there are outliers in everything, but have you found that there are distinct differences in regard to it? And also, why don't you talk about you as a performer, what it's been for like for you to perform in these different realms, whether it be staged show, sketch comedy, stand-up, or improv? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that... Um there are some differences, and I think they definitely come from the approach. You said that improv people seem to be a little more positive or, or uplifting folks, and I, I think that that's because of the culture in which we uh, subscribe to. Right. I mean, it is one where, yes, there certainly are one-person improv performances, but the majority of them are done it's within group work. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you go back to that yes-and policy, the idea of, of you know, we're trying to make you look good. I'm, I'm validating your ideas. I'm embracing what you give. I mean, it's it is. It's supportive. It's uplifting. We're we're working together to build something that mm-hmm. is greater than what we started with, and I think that that does then kind of permeates its way into other areas of your life. You know, and and I have uh, I have performed stand up. Uh, I find it to be very honestly daunting. Um, you know. Um, my dad performs stand up as well, and I would say you know, and he he seems like a fish in water. He's just very comfortable right. doing it. And maybe perhaps in stand-up comedy, and this is probably not true you know, across the board, but I would say the majority of it is looking for, if you're writing material, you're, you're looking for absurdities. You're looking mm-hmm. for things that we have in common, and then you pick them apart. Right. You break them down. Rather than, than using those elements and, and collaborating and building them up, you're looking at it going, well, why do we do this? What is it about this that we all universally roll our eyes at? How can I shine a light on this that is um, you know, dysfunctional? And, and so maybe that, in a way, might make them seem to be a little more sardonic, a little more you know, darker and, and, and right. negative. Um, and so so that, that certainly could be that way. Um, you know, as a as a stage performer, I I felt like in a scripted work, it, it's kind of a, a mix of both selfishness and selflessness. Mm-hmm. I mean, you selfishly want to nail your part. You want to make sure that you know you, your your delivery is on point. You're you know you pick up the the cue lines. You know nobody's waiting on you. You remember your blocking. You take the direction that the that the director gave you, and and you want to put on the best show. I mean, when when the reviewer's in the house and you get the review the next day, you're thinking. Did they mention me? And I hope, <laughs> and I hope that they did. And I hope that they said. And you know, Patrick Adamson did a great job. But you know, right. he was the best orderly Harvey's ever had. <laughs> you know? like, Thanks for quoting my review yeah. to me, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, you, I you, remember that performance. You, yeah. you want you want to be remembered for even the bit part, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, I think in that way it, it's selfish. But then there is also that selflessness to it. Like you know, you need to take what the director gives you you need to build upon their input you need to make sure that you know your your cues are, are nice and tight so that your other uh, performers can do their job and look just as good as well and uh, yeah so i think it is kind of a, a balance there um so but yeah i definitely could see that there's difference between right. especially between stand-up and improv I, i'm not certain that i can m- truly make a distinction on where sketch comedians lie but just because of my lack of experience mm-hmm. um you know uh, working in that area, but yeah, it, we're part of this. Co- I mean, it, it's it's interesting. I'll just say because comedy sports, you know, we're one of which now twenty seven cities as we just added three new ones this year. Um, but uh, 
every year we get together for a championship, right? Uh-huh. And then we have these uh, world cha- comedy sports worldwide championships, uh, and we learn, we network, we take workshops, and the minute you get to that place, it is like it. It's a bizarre adult summer camp, right? Where but everybody is supportive. If you, there really are very few handshakes. Uh, it's all hugs, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, the, the strangers greet each other in that way. Right. You know, I mean, as long as you're comfortable with it, then that's how you're greeted. Because the culture is just that. It's very uplifting and and um, a sense of uh, you know we're all in it together. Yeah. Um, let's talk about something that you know you had mentioned things going right and things going wrong. Um, it's always fascinated me. One of my one of my comedic heroes and pop cultural heroes is Andy Kaufman. Okay. I, I love Andy Kaufman, and like there have been times when I've done performances and stuff, and I've intent, what, especially when I do stand up, and I've intentionally wanted to bomb or get a reaction <laughs> from the audience that was just different. And I interviewed a comedian for this show. I won't mention who it is, and um, I mentioned that, and I said, and we were talking about bombing because every comedian has done oh, it, yeah. whether it's Seinfeld or Carlin or whoever, any of the legends, they've all bombed and multiple times. It's just part of the business, and um, but it's always fascinated me, like the dynamic of that, the dynamic of bombing, and intentionally, like you know, feeling that tension with the audience, and it's. It's almost like, and we were talking about this because the, the comedian I was talking to was saying like how they hated to bomb and oh I'm I'm there to perform and you know I want to want the audience to be happy with me and I I kind of like it honestly <laughs> I like it when I like it when I like it when I'll bomb or I like it when and I'll intentionally try and do it sometimes like there was one show at the Speakeasy and Tristan is up in the up in the crow's nest. And I'm on stage, and I told him before, I said, I've got three routines planned. And depending on how the audience reacts to the sketches up to this point, I might do, like, the bomb routine and, like, come up with the jokes that are going to make people hate me. And so I did. And, and, like, people are like, what the hell kind of jokes are these? And he's up there laughing his ass off, of course, because he's on the end, and he knows what's going on. And the rest of the people all wanted to, like, throw their beer bottles at me. And so, but that was great, though. There's, like, there's something about that where... You're there to share an experience when there's a performance. And you want that experience to be impactful and memorable. And there have been a lot of times where I've seen comedic performances or comedians, and they've been interchangeable. And I haven't really met, I may have laughed, but I didn't really remember much from the show later on. But the people that have really fucked up. I've remembered that, you know, and so there's something about that. There's something to be said about like royally screwing up on stage or being building that animosity as a technique to be, be yeah, as and to get a reaction because you're still getting a reaction. You're just not getting the reaction that typically people believe you should be getting as a comedian. But both are there. You're there to trigger a reaction, whether a gut instinct of laughter or a gut instinct of mm-hmm. anger or whatever. Um, have you ever experienced? I mean, obviously you've experienced bombing. Tell yes. tell me. Everybody has. Everybody yes. has. Tell me what that's been like for you. How have you experienced it? How have you dealt with it? And have there ever been times? When you've secretly kind of liked it, and you've secretly been like, this is really interesting. Where the hell is this going to go? Because there's a real thrill to that, to like having an audience feel uncomfortable with you. Or maybe I'm just a 
freaking weirdo. <laughs> I don't know. That, that's certainly the case, yeah. but nevertheless. Yeah, I, I think that might speak to a part of your personality <laughs> that you, you may want to journal about. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I, On it, Patrick. That will be my next book. <laughs> Uh, so I feel like if you set out for the... I mean, Kaufman used to do that all the time, and he used to set that up so that he would bomb and everything, yeah. and there was a certain thrill to it. And I thought that was fantastic. If that's your goal, I mean, if you set out with that goal and, and you're able to achieve that end um, and, and do that in a, well, I guess, artistic or entertaining mm-hmm. way, then I feel like, well, yeah, you've you've won, and that's great. That, that you know, If that's your goal. Right. I've, I've never personally had that goal. Mm-hmm. Um Namely, because I feel like we're here to provide escapism. Right. You know, there, there's enough uncomfortable and awkward things going on in people's lives that that's why they come to the show. They don't come to the show to feel more awkward or more uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, there's funny and then there's icky, right? You know, there's dirty and 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 then there's there's you cross the line. So. It depends on how you're getting that done, right. too. You know, if you're doing it in the sense of, like, these jokes are no good, or my timing is so awkward, my delivery is so awkward, or if you're just doing it to offend. I think right. that there's a fine line there, too. Um, but, yeah, I, I've certainly bombed uh, hundreds of times um, in thousands of performances. I would say <laughs> hun- hundreds of times I've bombed. Uh, and when that happens, to me, though, that you you learn more in a one hour of bombing a performance mm-hmm. than, than you do in a hundred hours of preparing for it. Right. Um, there is, and especially in comedy, I'd say it's universal, no matter what sketch, stand-up, improv, there's no um, greater editor than a live audience. Right. I mean, they That's are true. they are absolutely mm-hmm. criticizing and appreciating and directing the show if you are responsive to their input, you know some folks are not. Some folks dig their heels in, it, or maybe somebody like Coffin who says, "I've got a point. I know where I'm going with this, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to be, you know, be deterred or, or swayed." Right. Um, but the audience is constantly editing you. Uh, so when you do bomb, like the, that's that long, quiet car ride home, where <laughs> you just go, "What went wrong?" And as you start to think about it, you're like, yep, I, I missed this moment. and Or I should have incorporated this information. Or, yeah, I you know, I put that joke out of place. Or my delivery was really bad if I would have done it this way. And then, you know, those are the things that you note. And so that when that um, experience sets up again, mm-hmm. you, you approach it from a different angle. And then evaluate the response. And then just you, you build your repertoire of, you know, of reactions, expressions, and, and hooks and angles from those bombing experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's that's <laughs> it's very much a part of the industry. Um, but yeah, see, personally, I've never gone out. I've I've never personally set out to do a bad job. It's, it's hard to do it in improv. It's better to do it in stand up. Stand up, oh, you can yeah. like kind of map it out and say, I'm going to oh. do this, and then this beat. I'm going to hit this beat. And I'm going to hit this beat, and then I'm going to hit this. A lot I, of I would argue, Sean, it is easy as hell to do an improv. <laughs> I, anybody can suck at improv. Well, yeah, right, right. I, okay, <laughs> touche, Patrick. Touche. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, it's very easy to do. Um, yeah, you just uh, you you don't participate. You, right, you, you, there you go. You suck you, it a different way. Yeah, uh-huh. you don't participate. You, know, you act, throw throw tantrums. Right. Believe you're better than everybody else, uh, and insult the audience. And at that point, you have successfully sucked at improv. Right, right, so. right. Um, <laughs> 
You're leaving me with a wide open door to talk about something here. I'm not going to. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, um, another topic. Um, let's see. Um, we talked about bombing. Oh, how many times have you um, have you experienced? I mean, everybody's been in the situation where you're like. Damn, I should have said that at that particular moment. You know, you'll be at a confrontation or whatever or something. You're like, oh, I had the perfect line, but it's an hour later. You know, how many times is that? I mean, that's got to happen all the time when you're doing improv. Every <laughs> night. The funniest show is the one that happens in your head, in the car uh-huh. on the way home. Right. You know, so like our guys in Ty's troop, you know, they, we go out and travel, you know, the bi state area and everything doing performances. And on the way back, I mean, that's the, the, the the one hour drive home is the funniest one hour we did all night because you are looking back at those going you know what i should have said you know what i, sh-? I mean you had a great show you're feeling good about it and even at that moment on the way back home you come up with 10 better right. responses yeah. to to every you know situation yeah right. okay let's talk about sex baby no, we'll talk about oh, that yeah. later patrick um sure go ahead patrick let's talk about sex <laughs> regale us with uh, some tales here has there had there been any like <laughs> naughty dirty things that have happened here backstage and in See, that the, was the an doors of the there sean you made an offer i accepted it right and into another realm exactly and, and then, then i used the and i did the and exactly yeah. see where you i'm picking up what you're putting down yeah. here adamson <laughs> um and and i have i have i have Again, you want really juicy stories, and we have such uh, a great cast. I really don't have those to give to you. Yeah, I'm right, right. So um, let's talk about the split between you guys and the blacklist and what happened when you guys left Speakeasy yeah. and came over here. Yeah. Um, what precipitated that entire now i thought that was a great thing and i remember this is when i was doing get your good news this is before i was with quadcities.com and i was doing get your good news and i remember writing a column about that and saying what a great thing that was going to be because at the time there was this kind of you know people were taking sides and there was turmoil and everything else and i remember writing about it and saying this is going to be fantastic because i love this building the rocket is such a fantastic building i mean devin hansen did a great job in kind of renovating this and getting it ready to go i filmed in here we did part of your favorite band the movie that i did in this building i i've always loved it i thought it was fantastic and so i was so happy that you guys were getting in here and renovating it and i thought you know what if anybody's going to make this a success it's going to be the adamson's and it's going to be comedy sports because you have a an established brand an established audience it's a footprint footprint. i thought it'd be fantastic and you know i'm right i mean look at it now and i thought just you know the same way, I thought the speakeasy, the vacuum created by you guys leaving the speakeasy, would open it up for new and different entertainment. And it has. It did. You yeah. know, Brett has yeah. done a fantastic job in programming and getting in alternative entertainment. That I, I think that that's that's the wonderful thing about it, is that you guys are different stuff. And it's like when you got when you and I were sharing the same stage over there. We were doing totally different things, mm-hmm. and and I like that the fact that the Speakeasy has kind of followed in that tradition, and they present that R-rated stuff because not a lot of people are doing that. Yeah. Um, so why don't we talk a little bit about how did that happen? How did what made you guys decide? Hey, we're going to do this. We're going to go on our own. Yeah. 
what made you choose this location? Uh, and then what happened in regards to the blacklist? And obviously there was some you know conflict there and such and everything else. Talk about it as much as you want or as little as you want. Uh, I'm throwing it out there. Here's Patrick. I'm putting it down for you, and you can pick it up. How much time do we have left? Uh, <laughs> this is a podcast. We have as much time as you Woo-hoo! want. All right. Uh, I am so grateful for every... Uh, experience that that we had working with Circuit 21, um, being in the speakeasy. We, you said it was a, you know, I said it's a footprint for mm-hmm. being here, and you said that's the reason why it was a success, and it is a success because of the the time and the commitment that was was put in on on both sides at our tenure at at the speakeasy. I mean, you know, that was 20 years we were there. Uh, it's a long time. Um, we were ready. I was, I was ready to to grow, and that was a personal decision. It was one that was backed up by my father, and you know he wanted to continue to, to work together. And so at that point, you know, just we had to grow. We had to move, uh, and we did not know. Really, the future was very undetermined. Um, we didn't know where we would end up. We certainly didn't believe that we would just have to end up 45 feet away from right. where we moved. Uh-huh. Uh, in fact, uh, the story of how we ended up here at the establishment, which, as you mentioned, was formerly the, the Rocket or um, the Capri for some folks, uh, we looked at maybe 14 or 15 different locations. Um, everything from... You know, the old Bruin view, uh, you know, the smaller location to across the river at, uh, which is now I think the, the where the uh, Day Trotter has their uh, a building at. Um, we looked at what the, is now the the arcade analog arcade bar. Uh, I mean, we looked in a lot of different locations, and we uh, were in some pretty committed talks with RME. Uh, we were going to use their side room up there that was next to the Redstone room. And, and we were to the point of, you know, brief moments away from just putting your name on the line and, and moving forward. So I, out of loyalty and respect for the city of Rock Island and for how they had supported and, and had a, we had always been home, you know, our, our home was Rock Island, went to uh, our contacts within the Rock Island government there and, the, and, and within Dari and, and just said, I want you to hear, you know, from me first before you read it in the paper, that we're probably going to end up in Davenport. Mm-hmm. And it was at that moment that they said, well, there has to be something that we can do. And at the time, um, Zach Wenthe, who used to be a comedy sports uh, performer, stage manager, uh, was working with the city. And he said, what about the rocket? So we walked in here, we looked at it, and the f- first two things that went through my head, one, it's too big, mm-hmm. and two, this place needs a ton of work. Yeah, right. Uh, and, and yes, I mean, like, Devin did, did uh, well in, 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 in rehabbing it and making it better, mm-hmm. but after his absence, you know, it became Rock Island's storage locker. Sure. You know, it's like, yeah. well, let's have a festival down here. Great. What do we do with all these fake palm trees and rocking chairs? Ah, put them in the rocket. Right. Well, it was. Yeah. It just was a. It was just a locker at that point, and so you know it sat empty for a few years. So um, Zach put together this deal for us, and 
the city of Rock Island, it's not a secret, they really made this happen. They mm-hmm. wanted to have an attraction uh, that was going to bring families to the district mm-hmm. uh, on the weekend nights and help you know generate business for the restaurants and other locations in this area and the comedy sports had that footprint and so they want us to be here so the city of rock island uh put together a package uh for two hundred and twenty five thousand dollars of tiff money to renovate the building and to get the doors open Mm -hmm. Uh, a large expense of that was uh generating creating bathrooms on the first floor uh, the bathrooms originally were in the basement. They're right. not. They're not handicap accessible. They were not in good condition, and it was an easier fix to just you know bring everything up to the main level. So we took the existing lobby of the rocket, cut it in half. Half became bathrooms. The other half became the lobby of the establishment. And uh, so then we decided. Finally, got everything up and running. Uh, had a contest within the community to, to pick the name. Um, you know, the name was uh, submitted, and uh, we we chose uh, the establishment upon a vote within the you know staff. And uh, we decided to open the night before Thanksgiving on 2010. I did not know until I looked into the history of the building that in 1939 the Rocket Cinema opened showed their first movie the night before Thanksgiving mm-hmm. in 1939. So it was just kind of a weird, uh, you know, 75 years or so later. Right. Uh, we, had, we had the exact same kind of opening date, so I don't know, meant to be. Um, and now I look at the building and I go, I thought it was too big before. Man, I wish it was bigger. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I wish I wish we had an, a, a, a private, you know, I don't know, dining room. I wish we had more storage. I wish we could yeah, do more things. But it is a cool building. Uh, you know, kind of a old streamline art deco throwback. Uh, and we moved into this uh, weird kind of footprint. Like, you know, with the Bruin view was here, right? They brought mm-hmm. the movie screen in. And um, so, you know, we're making use of that within our performances. And uh, in the 90s, it was, I think it was Club Infinity. It was. It was Infinity. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So they, they're the ones that took out the, the theater-style seating and, like, put in the three-tiered levels and the dance floor. But the, the, the tiered levels of seating were great for live yeah. theater because you're, you're looking over people, not right. through them. And then... Uh, yeah, I remember seeing Morris Day in the Time here. Yeah. A lot of people have told me that. That yeah, must have been one must have been one hell of a concert. I hear that a lot. Yeah, everybody walks in. Um, most of them have a memory at uh-huh. this building. You know, they'll say, oh, I saw whatever, Brigadoon here, you know. Um, so, yeah, we kind of took over that. It, you know, the, the bar wasn't put in from the nightclub and where the, te- uh, the DJ booth is now where we operate our tech from. And so I really don't know looking at this other than, I don't know, maybe – some sort of faith-based organization. I don't know whatever could have used this space right. in, in as well as it's being used right now. Mm-hmm. You know, so in addition to you know doing the shows here, we have the opportunity for people to to rent the venue. You know, Sunday through Thursday, and with the dance floor and the different levels and the movie screen, like it's good for you know uh, if you're a unique couple and want to do a, a wedding reception that's maybe on a you know a Sunday or you know non traditional kind of thing, or um, you know com- companies and organizations are doing presentations, you know, using the full size movie screen to you know project their information or other groups that want to you know do performances here. Um, you know that's. It's been a multi-use venue, uh, and so yeah, it's really I think we've filled the space awesomely. Um, so 
Yes, when we left the speakeasy, because I'm not, I'm not dodging your question. Sure. When we left the speakeasy, then it was the uh, the, the, the blacklist was created um, and formed, and you know they were they were formed. Um, there were a couple of our comedy sports members who were a part of that original troupe, and you know that you say the the, the rivalry or the animosity. I, I didn't have it. Mm-hmm. I really believe that it was something that was generated and created, fabricated from performers who really weren't even a part of the history. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that there were some emotions and some egos that ran high and there were some things that uh, were put into the public um, through, you know, viral videos or also just comments on articles you know that were popping up that were just untrue Mm. and i felt like it was just a way to try to establish a brand right and and that um i've never ever partook in any of that because that's not how we and i say we like we as yes comedy sports the, you know, Quad Cities, LTD, the company, or we as a community, or we as comedians, or we as the blacklist are going to win. It's, right. It doesn't. It doesn't work. It just is the the being divisive in that way doesn't work. Um, and so, and I, I think that that uh, has played itself out over time. I, I really, I really feel that you know having that positive attitude, trying to build a community, is something that is a testament to the success that we're having and that we're here. Um, and so, and that's that some of that negativity has phased itself out. Um, and we, we had crossover, you know, I know that you, we talked, uh, and you know, obviously Josh Kahn was yeah, a comedy yeah, Josh sports is the performer. one that always comes to mind. He's, he's yeah. pretty much with everybody. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. comedy whore. Uh, he's, um, he's Switzerland. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's not. He's not so well. He's not, Switzerland, he's not Switzerland at all. He's, he's not, well, he, he, he's able to commingle with everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I think Josh should be the first to tell yeah, you he's he's, he's in it for himself. Bad analogy, but, you know. <laughs> no, uh, but yeah. So Josh was a, a comedy sports performer. He wanted more stage time. He said, "I want to go to the blacklist." Is that fine? I said, "Oh my God, yes, go audition." I've never, never anything but you know supportive of it. Um, and then now you know he's uh, obviously doing you know good things um, with bottoms up, and he's also uh, you know open source, and uh, some of, of the open source performers have uh, performed you know here before in, in one of our uh, late night shows. Um, I've went over and performed with them uh, you know pretty recently, a few months that's ago. That's cool. Yeah, it's like it's uh, that's the whole part of right. like it's. And the other thing that was really apparent is that it's two different. It's different markets. Yeah, and, and it's I, different types of improv. It's different. It's it's also different demographics, different people right, that attend. Right. And I'll tell you a quick story about when that became really apparent. So, a few years after you know the whole, probably uh, like 2014 or so, uh, George Strader says, Let, "Let's do something like let's let's tell the public that we're going to have this big showdown. Right? It's going to be like well, yeah. I always felt that. I mean, because I admire you know George is a great hype man." And he's he's really good at like marketing and and I always thought that that was the whole thing was just kind of rigged, mm-hmm. and and I thought it was a brilliant idea. I mean, I, I the whole like you know let's create this animosity because 
you guys are the establishment, mm-hmm. you know, literally yeah, and figuratively. Yeah. But you know, uh-huh. you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And so the upstart always wants to kind of attack the establishment in order to establish their brand. And their brand was kind of this outlaw yeah. improv. Yeah. And what better way to establish an outlaw brand than to be, you know, antagonistic mm-hmm. towards the established brand? So I always thought it was kind of. I don't know if there was any. I, I don't know. I don't speak for George. Right. I can't get inside his mind and realize, you know. I, but I always thought that it was kind of a marketing ploy yeah. myself. That's as an outside observer and having interacted with George and talked to him enough and knowing that he's very keen on marketing stuff and everything. I kind of always got the feeling that that was kind of fabricated, yeah. like you said. Yeah. But I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, you know, you got to market yourself sometimes. Yeah, yeah I, I don't disagree with that at all. I, I think I agree with you. It was, it was an act to establish a brand. and So that kind of came to this head, right, where there's this perceived, you know, maybe wasn't perceived outside of the, you know, 50 people that <laughs> we had employed at some point, but that there, that there was this, this animosity. And, and so it was George who said, let's do this thing where we do like it's the establishment versus the blacklist mm-hmm. it's the big showdown and the showdown is just going to be a flippy plate competition at the, <laughs> at, at, at the qc coffee pancake house so you know and, and i can't say enough that surprises me not in the least <laughs> yeah so he goes you know flippy cup right you know you do the show you got to flip the cup and it goes down to the next person but what we're gonna do is we're gonna do flippy plate so you bring your guys i'll bring my guys we all sit at a table at the qc coffee pancake house and jose was so awesome to like <laughs> welcome fantastic. us so we're we're in uniform we're uh-huh. sitting across from each other and the, you have to eat Two pancakes, bacon, drink a glass of orange juice, and when you're done, you flip your plate. And you got uh, your plate has to land upside down before the next guy can start eating. Right. So you know we we built you know George did a couple of like quick promo videos to to bring this up, and we did it after comedy sports, and mm-hmm. so we invited our audience like please you know come over to the QC Coffee Pancake House at you know nine ten p.m. because it was after our show, but it was before the before their show. And so we could get, and so they invited their audience over. We invited our audience over. We're sitting across from each other, and it was at that exact moment when I looked up and I saw their audience on one side of the restaurant, and I looked behind me and I see our audience on the other side, and I went, "This is, I mean." These are two totally yeah, different yeah. crowds. Yeah, you're not competing. <laughs> yeah, and there's there's so there's enough. There there's more than enough ticket sales. You know, I've been here 27 years, and I still run into people, and they go, "Comedy what? Comedy sp- uh, sports who? What right. do you guys do? I didn't even know there was a. Well, where do you live? I live in Rock Island. Oh, you just move in town? No, my whole life. Like, <laughs> right. like you can't tell me there's not enough tickets out there because there are people who are not consuming your product now so yeah yeah, there's enough for for us both and so um you know i'm grateful for for their the experience there i'm happy that that the venue is doing well for them and that there is a variety of entertainment there uh that's only serves our community well and and, you know that's that's great. That's what we should be yeah, doing. I agree. We should all be succeeding. I agree. I agree. I was sorry to see the blacklist go. Honestly, I mean, I know a lot of people have issues with George, but I've never been one of them. I always have gotten along with the guy. I, you know, I admire his tenacity and his energy and his marketing, you know, perseverance and, and some of his ideas and such and everything. And I, I've always gotten along with George just fine. I know a lot of people don't, but, you know, that's, that's just what happens, you know, I mean, the performing yeah. arts sometimes. Um, so, um, let's talk about uh, what you guys have got going on right now. And you're just about to unveil an official 
late night series, although you've been doing this for a while. Yeah, and tell me about, you know, are you refining the the shows, um, taking the shows that, that that work best, and, you know, which, which shows are going to survive into this brand new era of comedy sports, Patrick? One of them is Survivor. Uh, <laughs> I was waiting for that. I, I see, how, I see how I was doing yeah, that. You were gifting me. So, yes, we have been for you know three years now. Um, we've had something called the Studio Series, uh-huh. and the the Studio Studio Series is. Um, 9.30 p.m. shows that are uncensored. They're, you know, R-rated performances, uh, 17 and older, same rules as an R movie, right? Um, and those are all cast-generated shows. So these are formats that maybe improvisers have seen. Uh, they've, maybe they performed in other cities when they worked there, or they've seen them at other, um, you know, maybe they took a trip to Chicago or wherever, and they thought, oh, my God, this is great, I want to do this. Or some of them are just completely unique things that they've compiled themselves. So... We wanted to give a place for our really creative, awesomely talented performers to grow, and so we had this opportunity for Studio Series. It's also, not going to lie, it's a great way to keep people around, entertain them, sure. get them to be ingratiated to your brand, uh, sell them another bucket of beer. Well, uh, right, exactly. Right, I mean, that's... Yeah, that's where you make your butt. It's yeah. a win-win, right? Yeah. So, uh-huh. uh... And then those shows grew and grew and grew, and we got to a point where we had 18 different shows right. in the Studio Series. And Studio Series, it's just it's hoity. Like, the name of it, to me, right. it didn't tell people what they were going to see. And while the comedy is... It made it sound like James Lipton was going to show up. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and his smoking jacket and his pipe. Today we're interviewing Patrick Adamson. <laughs> the, the comedy that we have is is great, and uh, the performers do it very well, and some of it is, is really honestly, when you look at the techniques they're using and how they're able to pull it off, it's very intelligent, and yet it's still R-rated. I mean, it's it's there's still just a series of really well-crafted dick jokes, you know. Like, I, and I'm and I'm not. You I'm, should invite that lady back who right, you know yeah, wanted dick. She was in the wrong. She, yeah, she was at the wrong place. You should extend an invitation. <laughs> hey, weren't you the lady who we brown bagged who said she wanted dick? Well, yeah. here's here's the dick right. that you've been waiting for. But pants are still required. Uh, <laughs> so, I thought we we need to kind of uh, make this the name and I identity something that is going to tell people what they're going to see and so one of the things everybody always asked they say would ask us what's the late night show when was the late night show uh-huh. well i'm coming for comedy sports but thinking about sticking around what's the late night show I'm like well it doesn't take a genius to just call it what the people are already right. calling yeah, exactly. it right so and I, and I feel like that uh that also really um Set better with us with what we're doing, and so we we rebranded. They start uh, in October. We also then did a set schedule because before it was, you know, based on availability, and you didn't know from one night to the next what you're going to see. Right. So now uh, we have a set schedule. We took uh, eight, you know, of, of the eighteen uh, that are very solid shows, um, and so now you know that the first Friday of every month you're going to see it's your fault. You know, this, the yeah, first. What are, what are the shows that you capped? Sure. So, uh, It's Your Fault is it's like a multiple choice uh, test gone wrong. Uh, the 
movie screen has a list of games, you know, two, three, four games on them. The audience chooses the game. And then the audience, of course, they give us the suggestion in which that we're going to work from. And throughout the show from different times, they're going to saddle the comedians with a challenge or a quirk. Like perhaps you have to play this game with a Scottish accent or you can't use the right, right side of your body. Um, so... The show really is the games, the the comedians, the challenges are all chosen by the audience. Mm-hmm. Hence, it's your fault. So no matter what happened, it's your fault. <laughs> uh, and uh, but the, the show is is has been wickedly funny, awesome. Uh, the participation level is so high. So the man that, and of course, one was Weisenheimer, and Weisenheimer uh, is the first Saturday of every month, and they are um, our longest running uh, late night show. Uh, so three improvisers are bringing um, you know their styles from from different areas, uh, and they are, do a fantastic job. They take one suggestion, uh, and, you know, maybe three at most, and then they just create you know forty five minutes of a really um, smart piece where the characters are interacting and you see those stories weaving together. And then um, uh, at the end of that, then they come back and play kind of a, they call it honest dick in mm-hmm. where the audience gives them all the lines that, you know, almost all the lines that they're going to say. They, they put the control back into the audience. Um, so then we kept Shakespeare, uh, which is an improvised Shakespeare play. Mm-hmm. Awesome blend of like the uh, iambic pentameter, uh, the, the the Shakespearean speak that you would expect to hear, and then this really wicked, vulgar vernacular. Right. You know, I mean, it, a, a well-timed f bomb in the middle of a Shakespeare play cuts through like a knife, right. and it, it it hits very well. So, um, as a as an improviser, that's a show that I watch and just going. I know it's difficult to improvise. I couldn't even conceive of improvising. While using <laughs> Shakespearean, right. uh, you know, uh, story points um, and, and speech. So then that, uh, then in addition to that, was uh, that we kept was true story. Um, true story is uh, think of it like stand up meets improv. But there's a there's a storyteller uh, who tells a true story from their life, and the improvisers listen in, mm-hmm. and then they just use that as the material. They you know rip it apart, use that to, to generate the material. Uh, MFK improvised version of Mary Fuck Kill. Uh-huh. Uh, then also in addition to that, uh, so Survivor, take off of the Survivor right. reality game show. Comedians compete in a series of challenges till there's only one left. The comedians vote each other off. So there is a little bit of this, uh, you know, the tribal council. They're making alliances and they're, uh, you know, breaking hearts from time to time. Uh, then 309 uh, is our tour through the 309 area code. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably our dirtiest show. Um, it's it's just a really uh, awesome raw way that uh, some some talented <clears throat> uh, improvisers like myself uh, get, <laughs> get an opportunity to uh, to cut loose. So yeah, it's uh, me, uh, Jeff DeLeon, and uh, Big G uh, George Scholes, um, and uh, we take different stops through the 309 area code. We're going to stop at the Avenue of the Cities and play a game spoofed off off our experiences there. We'll we'll uh, you know, play a game of romper room. We'll go to uh, you know, the um uh, Atkinson Public Library or I mean uh, Lions Den. Uh, we'll stop there and uh, and play a game. And then uh, our musical shows that stuck around Bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a band that uh, has reunited after a long time away. They play all the music live on stage, you know, two guitars, bass, percussion, keyboards, but uh, the song titles come from the audience. Mm-hmm. So it's a live concert where the music is improvised, the lyrics are improvised, and you get to see the backstory of the band. 
and uh, and then also we have movie the musical mm-hmm. you give us a movie We'll make it a musical. Mm-hmm. What happens if Terminator is now <laughs> a Broadway play? Uh, and then uh, Shakespeare. I'm sorry, not Shakespeare, a stand up comedy. Um, so, this, our stand up showcase, mm-hmm. last Saturday of every month. Uh, like I said, Jeff Adamson, uh, my father, is our MC, longtime stand up comedian. Mm-hmm. And then he uh, books in you know two comedians. So, rather than a night where there's eight and everybody gets five minutes, it's right. like, Getting uh, comedians a chance to really, you know, do a decent, you know, ten, twenty minute or longer set and uh, kind of showcase their talents. Right. So yeah, so I mean, those are those are the the shows. And I know, like I said, with with eight shows and a couple of alternates there, there's uh, a lot to learn about. So right. I don't have to tell you because you can just learn for yourself sure. if you go to thelatenightshows.com um, or check us out on Facebook at the Late Night Shows. And night is N I T E mm-hmm. because we're cool like that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's an homage to Miller yeah. Lite, yeah, Patrick. Right. Right. Yes. Um, so, uh, anything else that you'd like to add that you've got coming up in the future that we haven't talked about? We're ending our podcast here. We're ending our trip here, Patrick. So, I know, I'm so sad, too. But um, but don't worry. We'll have you back on the show. Yeah. Um, but for now, is there anything else that you'd like to add or that you know you got coming up? Anything you want to plug or talk about the website? Throw a plug out for that or whatever. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, we got so many things, uh, so many irons in the fire, and that's what makes mm-hmm. us fun is every day is a little bit different. Right. And, of course, improvising every show is a little bit different. Um, just very uh, grateful for the 30-plus people that we have have here who are very passionate about doing this and you know all of them um are this local talent and people sometimes turn their nose up at that they say well if you're really good when you go to chicago when you go to new york and it's like well yeah i maybe i would if i also didn't enjoy my job my family my home you know those low cost of living nice people i grew up between chicago and new york my mom lives in chicago my dad lives in new york and people ask me that all the time and i graduated from usc which is in los angeles and so people like what are you doing in the quad cities i'm like i like the quad cities it's not too small and it's not too big and it doesn't cost too much and people are pretty cool and there's enough to do i mean it's not yeah it's not like chicago or bigger city or anything like that but there's enough cool stuff going on here and everything and then you know it's easy to get around there's no traffic don't have a lot of parking hassles there's a lot to say about you know that's good about the quad cities so yeah but the most exciting thing for us right now is is the late night show and and the reason why it's so exciting is because it's a rebranding you know the establishment became a venue and boy scouts were coming here and wedding receptions were coming here and the city of rock island is is hosting events and the quad city convention visitors bureau is hosting events here and then i had this these you know, formerly the studio series shows. And I wanted to be able to say, like, this is funny shit. Come laugh your ass off. But I can't do that because it affects the brand Mm -hmm. of the venue. I wouldn't want the Boy Scouts to host their Blue and Gold event, (laughs) look on our Facebook page and go, honey, where's Billy going this week? He's going to see some funny shit. Yeah, yeah. So that's why we need our own voice. You know, the late night shows needs its own attitude and voice that it can express what it always has been, but do it in a way that's more out in the open and speaks to to the people who are coming enjoying our product the people who are coming here and enjoying the product are the ones who are coming to laugh at funny shit because this last week has been bullshit that's why they're coming they're coming to enjoy and escape and and we can provide that and that's i'm just very excited about that more than anything else that we have going on right now um but yeah we're in we're a great place and this is and if that's not your 
you know, that's not uh, the boat that you want to float in. That's what comedy sports is, is dedicated to uh, to being. We're here. We're a great choice for out-of-town guests. you got people coming in, you know, coming up for the holidays or, you know, you don't know what to do. Take, take a look at comedy sports mm-hmm. because it is, yeah, it's clean. It's a show that's rated E for everyone, but it's not juvenile it's not for right. kids it's geared for adults right. kids just can be here right. because we when you take away the sex uh, drugs swear words and those topics that are taboo to talk about in polite conversation a lot of people think well what's left to be funny about well really that's when you have to truly be funny mm-hmm. because you don't have shock value anymore right. you really have to be able to to relate and be craft and, and be crafty and so that's what we're good at Cool. So give me the website and the phone number for people to call to get tickets and more info. Awesome. So if you want information, you can give us a call at our box office at 309-786-1111. If you want information on our late night shows, check out thelatenightshows.com. And everything else is so easily found with a little bit of Google love. Awesome. Patrick Adamson, thank you so much for being my guest today. Um, QC Uncut, the number one rated podcast in the Quad Cities. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this show. I'm Sean Leary, your host. Hope you have a great day and hope you've had an awesome time listening.